0: Any other quality that you're hoping in for your identity, then you are on sifting sand. And God has provided for us an identity in that we belong wholly to Him. So I appreciate that reminder. I want us to begin our time of prayer. Next Sunday, um, I have been asked to uh, preach at uh, my former church for their homecoming, um, and so I'll be, um, as my permission was granted to me, uh, sought counsel with some others uh, in our church, and they allowed me to say, yeah, that'd be fine, but uh, I want y'all to pray for me. It, we're g- going back to the is without a pastor at this point, and so I'm just going to do their homecoming, um, and I pray that God would use me uh, to help the church to go down good paths and trust the Lord in this season. Uh, and so that'll be next Sunday, but uh, my family will be here for part of the sun, uh, Sunday here uh, because there is a ministry that will be here called Crosswave Ministry. It's a student ministry, and they will actually be uh, putting on some drama uh, next Sunday uh, here. Uh, and I, I kind of want my students to, uh, to be a, there for part of that um, and then join me. Uh, And so next Sunday will be a treat. Uh, So just because I'm not here, uh, the Lord will be here, okay? And there will be a wonderful time of worship here uh, next Sunday uh, and something that might be a little bit more unique uh, uh, than what you might normally have here. And so I hope you do come uh, and share with others and invite them to come next Sunday uh, as we will worship the Lord here. But if you will pray for me, uh, as I will be going back up to Johnston County and to uh, share with them uh, next Sunday. So if you would certainly remember me in prayer. Um, and then as uh, Gary has reminded us in our time of prayer, um, worship looks very different in many churches in Oregon right now uh, because of the shooting. Uh, what The reports coming out are um, uh, fairly sinister, as of course any shooting is, uh, but especially seeming to be targeting uh, Uh, according to his social media post, uh, Organized Religion, and specifically Christians. Uh, And so if you will remember them in prayer as we have uh, a portion of our body that's uh, certainly suffering and hurting and grieving as we go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, So let's remember uh, this especially. So pray with me now. So, Father, we have experienced evil and hate in our country devastating way. And, Lord, we see, as any time murder takes place, that you are the intended target. When a human life kills and murders another human life, They are attacking you because it is your very image that you have made us and our value comes from the fact that you have made us in your image to ultimately reflect your glory. So, Father, we have lived in a land of people that have unclean lips, unclean hearts, unclean actions. And we are facing the consequences daily. And we are like them. We are a part of them. But Lord, you have made us into something different. So once we were of this same group. But you are changing our heart by your Holy Spirit. But Father, we pray for those believers now and others, Lord, in Oregon community who have been impacted by hate and murder. God, bring your presence there. May this be a moment where we respond not out of how this world normally responds, of just pleading for justice and vengeance. But Lord, may this be a moment for your love, for your grace. Because it is really aware, Lord, it's not just legal issues that's going to fix heart problems. But God, your Holy Spirit, working through believers, who in the face of the tragedy, who as lambs being led to slaughter, speak different, love different, hope different, show something different. God, shine forth. Father, to know that the days that we live in, as prophesied in Second Peter 3, are days in which Judgment of fire is being held just waiting. And that the only thing that keeps that from being realized is your mercy and patience and the prayers of your people. God, we pray. For mercy, and Nightdale, Green Pines, and our country, so that you may call many to repent, that they may know the joy of your salvation. Lord, we do not deserve your mercy, and that's what makes it mercy. But thank you for it. We pray this in your name. Amen. This past week, I was reminded uh, in a very fresh, exciting way of God being in control of all the details of your life. Do you believe that God is in control of the details of your life? Who comes into your life, the good and the bad, the accidents, the traffic, the appointments, the missed appointments. This past week, I just had an amazing encounter in which uh, uh, one of our church members was moved to North Raleigh for uh, assisted living. Uh, He's been put into hospice care and was assigned a young lady that just happens to live Back behind Lowe's and uh, the Wide Waters area, who um, just happened to set up this appointment, uh, sought out our church, uh, looked us up online, set up the phone number, uh, called me with some hope that maybe somebody would respond, and did, and basically set up an appointment on Monday. Whereby she is a volunteer for EMS or works for EMS, and that Saturday prior, she had just. Held for the very first time a lifeless body. And it shook her up. And so on Monday in God's providence, he had me talking with her as I was visiting Mr. Braxton. And in our course of conversation, I just asked her, I said, you know, have you do you ever think about spiritual things? And she said, you know, it's funny you ask because I called you hoping that I could have a conversation with you about this. I said, is it okay for me just to walk in on Sundays and go to church there? Can I just walk in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we uh we we've got plans for things like that to happen. That's fine. You know, is, it, is can I just wear what business casual? What what do I, you know? Um all that to say, she prayed to receive Christ Monday night. And it just was firm. A reminder to me how God is in control of all the details of life, and it, it's exciting for you for me to share that with you. And I, I, I expect to see her uh, in a short time here. But what about when, <laughs> man? Everybody seems to hate me, and all my you know all the ones that were my friends are not my friends anymore. And life is working against me? What about then? We don't want to relish God's sovereignty at that point, do we? That he's in control of these things. So, I want to take you to a passage in Acts. As we're following along in in Acts, I come across this scene, Acts chapter 21. And for whatever reasons, a lot of people don't preach on Acts chapter 1 and chapter 22 chapter 23 they're just kind of like well this is the same old stuff you know this is this these are the events that happen for paul to be arrested but there's just something that stands out to me as i read this acts chapter 21 thinking through what paul must have been thinking and feeling as we read this beginning with verse 17 through um really thirty, thirty seven, thirty eight. 37 38 And I I want us to understand that God is in control. And one of the hardest things for us to deal with in life is when people sin against you. Those, Those are the things that we can spend the rest of our life trying to deal with and recover from. When people hurt you, when they sin against you, because we see their guilt, we see their hand in it and that's really all we see and so they're guilty but we rarely can see the hand of God even when people sin against us and I just want to look at this story that Paul that happens to Paul with the hope that you can see the hand of God when people were sinning against Paul now, the story of this is just simply saying this is how Paul got arrested. This is how it went down. But there are some hints given to us right prior to this that lets us know God's in this. God's in this. And it's is an example to us just for us to remember when these things happen to us, God is still invo- involved in this. So uh, as we read this, I just want you to think about what are the sins that happened to Paul as we read this. So, if you'll uh, stand as we read this together, Acts chapter 21, verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things That God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but they yourselves also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, and give, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, and he inquired who he was and what he had done. And some of the crowd were shouted one thing and some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. When he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people were falling, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, then, who's recently stirred up a revolt and led up 4,000 men of assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. You may be seated. As we consider this, it's helpful for us to remember what Paul's desire was, what his goal was. A long time at the beginning of this return trip, Paul was in Corinth. Remember, his goal was to collect money for these Jews in Jerusalem and Judea area because of the famine. So he had been spending a lot of time, a lot of effort, gathering up money to help the poor in Jerusalem. But in Romans chapter 15 when he was in Corinth, he writes this a little bit to say, this is my hope, this is my desire. He says, verse 22, Romans 15, This is the reason why I have often so been hindered from coming to you. Now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, talking to Rome, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped in my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So his goal, he has been trying time after time after time to go to Rome. A city he has not yet been to visit people he's not yet visited, but there are many Christians there hoping to be helped along the way to go even further west into Spain. We do not know if he ever did that. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they are pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to him. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. What therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will lease for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Listen, he's praying that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. All right? Isn't that interesting? His goal is to go to Rome after delivering this money and then be helped into Spain. And he says, will you pray with me that I can be delivered from those in Judea. So what did we just read? That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Paul's prayer and his appeal, God said, no. You are going to be delivered into the uh, hands of the Judeans who will turn you into the, to the Romans. So his desire is to go on. All right. So I think it's helpful as we read this, uh, as we follow the story and what happens here. So I asked you to to think about what are the sins that happens to Paul. Uh, and so notice first as he comes in, he says in verse 18 he's meeting uh, he, he's received gladly by the brothers in Judea. And then the next day, is like this warm reception, and then this next day there seems to be this kind of a, a little council that takes place with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. At this point, the apostles, Paul, uh, Peter and others seem to be uh, scattered, but James is there. J- this is James, the brother of Jesus. So when you see in the Bible the book of James, this is probably the man here uh, that seems to be the leader in Jerusalem at this time. And so they have this little meaty mini-council there to address an issue. And so he says, he related one by one the things that had done among the Gentiles through this ministry, and they heard it, and they glorified God. There was a genuine, was like, this is amazing what God is doing. But then they kind of share their story. Let me tell you what God has been doing here as they focus on the, the Jerusalem Jews uh, uh, and them come to know the Lord. And so they see this uh, in As we read the text, he says they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. Now, we know from Paul he would rejoice at that. Romans 9, verse 3 says he would have longed for this, rejoice in this news. In fact, in chapter 10, he says, I would rather be cursed so that my Jewish brothers would come to know Christ. And so we know that Paul would have rejoiced at this information. But notice this little bit here they say in verse 20. And they are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. All right, now, Paul really hadn't been teaching that, that you don't have to do that, uh, that, that Jews should leave. But there's a little bit of truth in that. In that he is saying, the, the law no longer saves you. It is the gospel, the grace of God that saves us. So all we need is Christ. And so the effect of that was that in the church in Ephesus, the synagogue had shut them out and the Jews became Christians. were leaving the synagogue and now we're meeting in churches or in, in home gatherings uh, to, to be a part of the church. So the effect of it was it was taking the Jews away from the synagogues and bringing them into uh, to this Christian circle. Now what you need to just know in your mind is like this is getting complicated. There's just two cultures at work here. There's the gentile culture in worshiping God and the Jewish culture in worshiping God. One of the things you find in the New Testament is there's not a lot of instructions on in how to culturally worship Christ. And it's very pointed in that so that the gospel can flourish in any culture. For instance, how many of you, well, I don't want to do that. I, what? <laughs> let me just start here. How many of you have ever ate pig? Raise your hand. Some of you are doing it very enthusiastically, I see. <laughs> okay, where, where is, where's Brother Iliad or, Ken or Bernard? I, I didn't see if y'all raised it. Did y'all raise your hand? Okay, y'all raise your hand when you ate pig i uh, i I say that because when I was in Kenya and I was meeting some of the believers, they asked me that question: Do the Christians in America eat pig? And do they smoke? I didn't want to ask that question. <laughs> I said, "Yes, they do. In fact, we even gather in church meetings and eat pig together. <laughs> now we laugh and chuckle, but they did not. And some of you know why. Because, in that particular section where I was at, you're not a good Christian if you're eating pig. One of the things that's interesting, also, uh, you know, in the, in the age of social media, some of us have our baptisms. Uh, on social media you wouldn't know this but i've gotten a little bit of flack about that not from anyone here but from my belarusian brothers and sisters and you may not know this but in belarus people don't get baptized until they're about 16 17 18 and so When they saw a post of this church having baptisms, they just kind of marked it off. That's a bad church. That's a, no, they've they've got some problems there. Uh, You see, what I'm just bringing to you is culturally, there are issues that, in the age of social media, it just makes it even more uh, challenging. And these are just little things. But here in Paul, there was about to be a major cultural collision with how they worship Jesus Christ. Because many of these people were growing up and say, this is what people of God do. We go to the temple. We, we uh, do our offerings. We refrain from... From certain foods, we have circumcision. This is how I was raised. And then at the same time, there's other Gentiles saying, I wasn't raised that way. Do I need, is that really what's going to be required for me to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And so the Jerusalem Council met together and said, no, that's not what's going to be required. In fact, they reiterate that. Uh, as, as they're talking, he says, you know what? We've sent a letter, and see this in verse 25? We have sent a letter with our judgment that you should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. He says, he says I'm going to reiterate, these are the things that matter to help us have community together. One of the biggest challenges that we will face here at Green Pines, and are facing, is culturally how we worship. Not just whether we have Kenyan brothers, Hispanic brothers and sisters, or other people groups coming, but even among generations. How we worship together. And there's this cultural collision that takes place, and Paul feels the brunt of it. You see, it wasn't wrong necessarily to be circumcised. And so the Jewish leaders, James and others, were not teaching against it because that was not, that wasn't a big deal. They wanted someone to receive the news of Jesus Christ and not get hung up on whether or not they were circumcised or not and not listen to Jesus Christ. So they weren't making it a point of emphasis about the circumcision. They were pointing out Jesus Christ and that's okay, but when there's thousands of people who are now zealous for the law and yet believing in Jesus Christ and you got Paul coming in and, and they're worshiping different and he's, teaching things that's somewhat different not what they're used to then they have a major unity problem on their hands so you can see why this little mini conference takes place the very next day all right so here they are and they're saying look we've got a problem on our hands they're all zealous for law they've been told about you and 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 these things aren't true but nonetheless, they believe him. So it doesn't really matter whether it happened or not. This is how they perceive you. Now, we know from Josephus' historical writings around 56, 57 is when this takes place in Pentecost. Josephus tells us that this was a time of major nationalism in the Jewish people group. In other words, all things Jewish. Everything else that's not Jewish is less than. And so there's this huge drive to make sure that everything maintains its Jewish identity. In fact, this zeal culminates eventually into AD 70 with this full-out revolt against Rome. And that's when Rome comes with Titus and others and destroys Jerusalem. So nationalism is on a growing high And all things Jewish, and here comes Paul, bringing out how Gentiles can be people of God also, and God's grace extends them that they even get the Spirit of God, and that the temple is not really necessary. Nationalism was a problem. Did you know that's what uh, what was part of the drive in killing Jesus? In fact, in Luke chapter four, I want you to just turn this for for a second. Luke chapter four, verse six, verse sixteen. This is where Jesus was in his hometown. All right, Nazareth. He's, he's home. and he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, verse 16. And, and then verse 17, 18, 19, he picks a very specific passage and reads from this passage in Isaiah. And he says, "This is being fulfilled." You see this in verse 21, being fulfilled in your hearing, the anointed one is here. He's proclaiming good news. And notice verse 22, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. You see, they weren't so messed up by the fact that he was claiming to be the anointed one. That's not what threw them off. You would think that, you know, um, if if Canaan comes back. And he says, I'm the Messiah. We were like, No, you're not. I saw you. Uh, you know, we changed your diaper. That's not happening. Well, that's what you think would be happening with Jesus, but that's not what sets them off. He says, Is not this Joseph's son? Isn't it? And he said to him, Dallas, you will quote to me this proverb Physician, heal yourself. And what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came upon over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. In other words, God in the Old Testament helped the one who wasn't a Jew. And there were many lepers in Israel in the name of prophet in the time of the prophet Elisha, none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrians. So he gives two Old Testament examples. to See, it wasn't the Jews. It was God who extended mercy to the Gentiles. Even then, notice verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built, and they, so they could throw him down the cliff. You see, it wasn't just that Jesus was claimed to be Messiah. It was what Jesus was saying, that God's grace extends to people who aren't Jews, who are not of our culture group, and that's when they got angry. All right? So do you understand a little bit of the nationalism that's happened? We can be guilty of this, you know. We're not any different from the Jews. We can have the same thing. So what happens? I want you to just know something. He's being lied about. He's being lied about. Things are being said about him. He's being perceived totally wrong. And now he is a problem to his friends. What are we, you're a problem, Paul. What you're doing, Mother and Jesus, we've got to figure this out. Listen, do you know that when we're lied about and we become a problem to our friends, God is aware and God is moving, using it. You see, something happened. To Paul, You know, he's praying, he's praying that, okay, whatever, I I just don't want to be a problem here. I've been praying that I would be rescued from the hands of the Jesus, the people who hate me. I'm I'm praying for that, but you notice what we read last week? He was given a warning multiple times. It was prophesied to him. What was prophesied? Well, you see in Acts uh, chapter 21... You see this, verse 11? This prophet comes to him and says, "He takes his belt and binds his feet and hands. Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Why were these prophecies given to Paul? So when they happened, Paul remembered God's in control. God's in control. None of these things have escaped his grasp. Listen, you need to remember that when people lie about you and they, you become a problem to even your friends, it has not yet escaped God's hands. Are these things sins when people lie about you? Yes, right? Isn't that a sin? And isn't that a hard sin to deal with? When people lie about you, so that even the ones that you love, it's like, ah, oh, my burden to them. So, verse 22 what's the solution? What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Do therefore, we tell you, we've got a plan. We have four men who are under a vow. This is the Nazarite vow. Okay, so it was kind of like a, a really intense vow of of refraining from certain objects, including cutting your hair and strong drink and dead bodies and, and to say, this is a time for me to purify myself before God and to get right with God. And so we have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourselves along with them, and pay their expenses, which was hefty for one person. It required a male and female lamb, a ram, and some cereal and drink offerings. And so he's saying... For four people, we want you to pay them out. So this is costing Paul big time to do this. But he's willing to do that to maintain harmony and unity among the church that's there. So that they may shave their heads, they would use this hair and would burn it as an offering to God. Thus all will know that there is nothing what they've been told about you, but that you yourselves also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who believe, we've sent a letter and. Uh, and Reiterating what we've read, then Paul took the man and the next day, he purified himself along with them, went to the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be filled and the offering presented for each one of them. But the plan didn't work. All right? Verse 27. When the seven days were completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, this is the man, notice what they're saying about, it, who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and thus defiled this holy place. Has Paul been preaching against the temple? We see over and over again that Paul's message is, I preach Christ and him crucified. That's what I preach. But the implications were, you know, this is undermining things. This is undermining the temple. And they see him as anti-temple, anti-Jerusalem, anti-Jew. Listen, Paul is being misunderstood. And his motives are assumed as evil. Have you ever been there? When we are misunderstood and our motives are assumed as evil. Just as a little word, we can never know anybody's motives. Because only God knows their heart. But how much of our struggles with others involve this assassination of motives? And here that's happening to Paul. In fact, you remember in Acts 16.3, Paul had Timothy circumcised so that he could be all things to all people. So in fact, this is not at all the case, but we got examples in Acts where Paul is doing the exact opposite. But nonetheless, his motives are... Certain. Listen, it is a painful thing when our motives are misunderstood and we do not come across correctly. You know, it happens in little ways. We can laugh about it. You know, when I go to to China and they think I'm interracial, um, because I didn't look like Alan Samant, because that was, you know, that was an American. What are you? <laughs> Your parents must. You know, so I mean, there's there's these these funny moments like that where where you're misunderstood. Uh, then there's even more humiliating things. I, I remember one time I was. I befriended a, a girl in college. That I thought she was a, a pretty girl and uh, just a sweet personality, and so we got to be close friends. And then we, you know, I, I asked her out to to go out to eat, and and uh, I was in the process of having this conversation, and I'd made some kind of statement implying that what we were on was a date, and she didn't understand that as a date. I'm like, you know, you, you know th- this isn't a date. And, oh no, we're just friends. Oh, <laughs> that's humiliating having misunderstand motives. But it's a lot more sinister, isn't it? When they come to, you just hate people, don't you? I, I don't know if I want that. I don't, I don't know if I want Christ, because that means you, you hate people. Paul was not trying to hate the Jews. He was just preaching Christ. But nonetheless, that's how it came across. When we're misunderstood and our motives are assumed as evil, but yet, here's the thing. God knew everything that was going to happen. Do we believe in a God like that? That he knows the future? Does that mean that he also knows the future decisions of humans? He knows the course that it's going to take. They make a decision. It's a free, real decision. But God knows in advance and sets it all up that Paul is going to go to this place where he's going to be misunderstood, where he's going to be lied about, uh, where his motives are assumed as evil. And he says, you know what? You're going to be bound up. You don't yet know how this is going to happen, but I do. And I'm still in control. I'm still in control. And so we keep on reading. Get to verse, I just want to bring out this one, verse 30. He says, Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and once the gates were shut. Let's bring out a little thing here. Did you know this is the last time the temple is mentioned in the book of Acts? Totally obsolete after that. And the last message was, the door was shut to the messenger of the gospel. All along, they had marks. They found these archaeological, uh, a couple of these posts, but they were, it's been told that there's these signs all along. No Gentiles allowed here under the uh, risk of death. And now Paul is shut out. The door is closed behind him. It was a symbol of saying you have no place in God's kingdom. But what they didn't realize is they were shutting the message even to God as they did to Jesus. So, religiously, he was cast out. And then verse 31. Alright, so y'all caught the sins, right? And they were seeking to kill him. Check, right? <laughs> y'all got that, right? That's, that's sin, right? Uh, when we are hated and beat. They were wanting to kill him. Word came to the tribune, the cohort, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. This was Pentecost. This is the, the soldiers were on alert in this, this time of nationalism, and, and thousands are gathering around, and so they had this fortress adjacent to the temple. They had a, a bird's-eye view where they looked over the temple. They saw this confusion, and so this, the, the leader at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Okay, another sin, right? You got that. <laughs> That's a sin when someone beats you, or that's a sin. So here, that's happening, and it's a mob mentality. We live in a day and age where we can see things online with Christians happening to in India and other places, and it's frightening to see a mob take over and just a fury and anger of lashing out on this one. And then Tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Acts twenty-one eleven, right here, as he's being bound up. Did he have a memory of just a couple cities ago? God told me this was going to happen. Why did God tell him this was going to happen? So that when he is bound out and his freedom is no more and he's barely even, not even ma- able to walk since they're having to carry him because of the violence of the crowd, he is remembering God's in control, he's in charge. The mob of the people followed and crying out, "Away with him!" Which was their way of get rid of him, kill him. As Paul was about to be brought in temple. He said, to "The tribune, I, I want to say something." And notice what the tribune says. Aren- well, aren't you the Egyptian then, who stirred up a revolt and led the four thousand men of the assassins out in the wilderness? Aren- aren't you the terrorist, the Egyptian terrorist? When Christians are lumped with the ones who are disrupting the peace of our country, be prepared. Be prepared. And Paul says, I, I no, that's not me. I'm a Jew from Tarsus, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them. And Paul gives this powerful Confession and testimony. All this is happening, and he allows him to share the gospel. What would you be willing to endure if it means that you can share the gospel with someone? When it's all said and done, we find that uh, appeal takes place, and there's one. Uh, civil court out of our criminal court after another t- and ultimately paul says i appeal to caesar and it's told to us that even in rome he goes and the very hope that he had to one day go back to rome paul accomplishes but not at all in the way that he had thought and planned but paul is brought by the hand of god even before the caesar to share the gospel what are the things you pray for in your life You pray that God, help me to love people, help me to follow Christ, help me to be bold in my witness, help me to share the gospel with a certain group. What if God, in answering that proud prayer, allowed painful things to happen so that prayer could be answered? Would you still pray those things? Why didn't Paul just... Why why didn't God answer the prayer of Paul? It's like, well, Paul... Why don't you just, why didn't you just deliver, we were just talking to God, why didn't you just deliver Paul? He was praying for that, he had others praying for the whole churches were praying for this. Why didn't you just answer that prayer? I mean, he could have gone on to Rome on his own, Right? And I don't know the answer to all that, but I can tell you that one thing that did happen in Paul's life is that his devotion, his dependence on God was intensified, whereby he says to the people of Caesarea, you know what, whatever happens, happens if I can follow God and bring glory to the name of Christ. And so in this suffering, in the things, the travails that are happening, God is purifying one human being so that he's longest Biggest desire is to glorify God in so doing, releasing Him from all the delusions of this world. Here's the reality that I see over and over in the scripture, is that God will willingly allow you to go through physical hardships, financial hardships, emotional hardships, social hardships, if it brings your spirit in line with jesus christ and giving you goals worth living and dying for and that's where we struggle with it right there is because the fact of the matter is we like god but we like just as much if not more our comfort our well-being and god is working to make sure that god is god and free us